The Dental Download Podcast is your source for insight into dental school, conversations with dentists, specialists, and leaders in the industry. With new episodes every Monday morning, I'm your host, Haley Schultz. Let's get into this week's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Dental Download Podcast. If this is your first time listening in, my name is Haley, and I'm your host. I'm a second-year dental student at the University of Michigan School of Dentistry, and I post episodes of this podcast every single Monday morning at 5 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And this week, we have a guest. So our guest is a forensic odontologist, originally from India, where she did her dental training, and then went on to the University of Dundee in Scotland for her master's degree in forensic dentistry or forensic odontology. That is always a mouthful for me to say, so I'm going to call it forensic dentistry so I don't slip up as we're speaking, but either is an appropriate name for the field. So we talk about her journey of realizing it was something she was interested in, how she found out more about it, how she found out about the educational opportunities to get into the field, what day-to-day life is like for her now, what different avenues are for forensic dentists, why is forensic dentistry important, what is forensic dentistry, all those questions will be answered throughout this episode. And we also talk about how you, if you are someone interested in forensic dentistry, what steps you could take to get into the field. But if you're listening and you know you 100% want to be a general dentist or an endodontist or an orthodontist, something of the sort, how we as dentists can help support forensic odontologists. So it's all very interesting and I'm looking forward to letting you all listen to that very shortly. But I do want to do my quick weekly intro and also let you know that next week is going to be a solo episode with the topic of what to look for during dental school interviews. So I'll be going through some of the things that I would ask during interviews of the students or of the faculty, some things I was writing notes about, how I kind of determined what schools would be a good fit for me or what features I really wanted in a program or maybe was not so interested in. So all of that will be coming up in next week's episode. But as for the little dental school recap I like to do, things are very, very busy the next few weeks um, until the end of October. So next week, I have a midterm for diagnostic sciences, which is um, analyzing radiographs for lesions and seeing maybe what kind of anatomical changes there were, determining if a lesion appears benign or malignant based on the radiograph, or coming up with differential diagnoses depending on, again, the appearance of the lesion in the radiograph. And then on Wednesday, we have another SimLab practical already, and that is for a either porcelain fused to metal or an Emacs crown prep of tooth 3 and tooth 13. And then the following week, we have three midterms. But I did want to quickly let you know how last weekend went. If you listen every single week, you would know that last weekend I was in Irvine, California for an event with Pacific Dental Services. It was an educational workshop where they invited about 15 of us dental students to learn about CAD CAM, specifically CEREC and crown prepping for best CEREC crown outcomes, and then the actual scanning process, the margin design, the crown design, the milling in the CEREC machine, and then adding in the staining and glazing and then baking it and then getting to trim it and seed it on our typodonts. So it was very hands-on, very educational, nothing pitchy about their actual 
business and it was really great to get to connect with the dentists that were teaching the workshop they're very successful and honestly still young successful fairly recent graduates only for three years out of dental school and they are doing amazing things so it's really great getting to learn from them and getting to know them and as of now one of the dentists is going to be on the podcast eventually here i'm recording with her later this month but i will have the episode probably up in december that's just how far guests are recording out to so i want to let you all know about that and kind of pique your interest for something coming up in the future that's everything for this week's recap though so let's get into our main episode When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everyone, so we have another guest here today and I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Hi, so this is Dr. Jetpriya Jekmar. Um, I'm from India, born and raised in Muscat, Dubai. Uh, but before we get into the session, I want to congratulate Haley for creating this platform for continuous learning, especially during this unprecedented times. Um, I know in my time I had no podcasts or uh, I couldn't shadow anyone from abroad. And I had no idea about forensic dentistry either. So this is a great opportunity for learning for students as well. But it's also a great opportunity for me um, to spread awareness on the subject. So I did my dental school um, in India. So it was from a college called Abhishetty Memorial Institute of Dental Sciences. I, I'm not quite sure how um, the dental education is different from the U.S. and India, but in India, the BDS uh, course basically has four years of clinical training and one year of internship or residency where you work for specialty clinics, which is basically prosto, endo, ortho, surgery, etc. Uh, but we also have like a three-month rural posting, which is part of our internship. So you basically get posted to a rural village where you, you can either live in the um, rural area or you can commute as well. Um, I had the opportunity to be in a rural village in South India called Stringeri. Uh, now, the, the difference in working in a rural um, town and the city is the patience itself. So you basically have to create a kind of awareness from the beginning on how, uh, with brushing techniques to be used, how to even hold a brush sometimes, and even uh, with some of their practices. So in, to my surprise, I came to know that tobacco chewing after a meal is sort of like a tradition for them. Uh, it's exactly similar to how you would have, um, you chew a mint after a meal. So it was quite important for dentists to sort of create awareness and break traditions without disrespecting their values. So it's absolutely, a, it gave me a very different perspective on life itself and being born into privilege. Uh, but other than the rural posting, another uh, opportunity that I had during my residency was the student exchange program, or we had studentships uh, with um, other universities abroad. And this is how I did a one-month uh, internship or studentship. 
in France, in Paul Sabatier University, in a beautiful city called uh, Toulouse in southern France. And this was also an eye-opening experience, um, considering how dentistry and dental education differs in a first world country and a third world country. So yeah, it was an amazing opportunity as well. Um, after my internship, I worked as a dentist for uh, for a while in India, after which I did my specialization in forensic dentology or forensic dentistry in the University of Dundee in Scotland, UK. Uh, I also had a global excellence scholarship to back me up, after which I did my diploma in forensic archaeology and anthropology from Durham University, England. I'm also a prospective PhD candidate as of now in Scotland, but I'm currently working in uh, research, uh, publishing articles and content conducting dental and forensic lectures, workshops in forensic ontology. I'm also a keynote speaker for international conferences, mainly held in the UK, Europe, Middle East, and Asia. I'm also working for an organization called Kenyon International Emergency Services as a forensic consultant. So what they basically do is they help in identifying human remains, and I work as a forensic ontologist there during disasters. And the disasters can range from tsunamis, fires, earthquakes, earthquakes, crashes, anything. So basically human identification. Uh, and last but not least, I'm also um, the UK coordinator for the World Wild Association for Women Forensic Experts, where we sort of have conferences, webinars with uh, women forensic experts from around the world. And that's me. That's amazing. I feel like you had such a cool, like you said, the parallels in your early dental experience and then now working as a forensic odontologist, I feel like you are really breaking barriers, like you said, working with more women in the field and being on podcasts like this, which I so appreciate to spread awareness and education about forensic odontology. So can you tell us a little bit about what forensic odontology is and why it's important? Okay, to define forensic odontology itself, let's start with the definition. Um, so it's defined by the Federation Dentary International as that branch of dentistry, which in the interest of justice deals with the proper handling and examination of dental evidence and with the proper evaluation and presentation of dental findings. So what this means in simple terms is you basically use dental findings to provide justice. And you basically evaluate your dental findings as a dentist to go to court or for any other legal purposes and you provide justice. Now, from an identification perspective, um, we all know that you basically identify someone using DNA of fingerprints. And this is quite popular all over the world now. Now, the problem with DNA is when it comes to identical twins and when you don't have a DNA database, uh, fingerprints definitely hold an upper ho- upper hand in identification. But now the problem with fingerprints is in some cases, especially um, in major fires, when there is extensive trauma, uh, you do- tend not to get fingerprints. And again, when you have database issues, again, you don't find fingerprints. Now, this is where teeth comes into picture. So teeth does not only provide that kind of individuality to a person, but they're also durable and are highly resistant to damage, especially in cases of fires. In mass fatalities, as in disasters, as I mentioned before, um, identification by teeth is considered to be one of the easiest 
reliable and economical method when it comes to identification. Uh, especially as you would know, DNA and fingerprints, uh, they're quite complicated, they're expensive because you're using extensive databases and softwares and you need to pay for them. And it's time consuming as well. So compared to DNA and fingerprints, uh, teeth is definitely one of the easiest um, reliable economical method when it comes to identification. And this is one of the reasons why forensic odontology is as important as any other um, forensic uh, branches like forensic pathology. Um, just to make the session a little more interesting, we're going to look into some of the famous cases from around the world that use forensic odontology. So the first case is of Adolf Hitler. So we know after World War II, Adolf Hitler and his wife committed suicide. They did retrieve uh, their remains. That is, the Russian forces did re retrieve their remains, which is basically a lower jaw and partial skull fragments. But the autopsies were quite inconclusive. But it was 23 years later that a nine-unit dental bridge that was placed um, in Hitler's oral cavity by his dentist, identified the lower jaw and the skull fragments as that of Hitler's. So this was one of the major uh, identification cases that, uh, major cases that used forensic ontology for identification. Another case that everyone would know is of Theodore Bundy or Ted Bundy. He was an American serial killer uh, who was responsible for the rape and murder of uh, more than 30 young women in the U.S. Uh, in his case, his bite mark impression was used as primary evidence to put him behind bars. So one of his last victims, Lisa Levy, uh, was attacked by Ted Bundy, but she got to get away. And it was the bite mark impressions on her skin that was used against uh, Ted Bundy. And after taking a dental impression from Ted Bundy's oral cavity, they used it as primary evidence to put him behind bars in Florida. From a disaster perspective, um, the two major disasters that used forensic odontology for identification is the World Trade Center disaster in 2001 and the tsunami uh, disaster in 2004. So during the World Trade Center disaster, at least 501 victims were identified using dental comparison. And similarly, in Australia, um, forensic odontology contributed to 87% of the identifications as well. So from these examples, I hope you understand how uh, forensic odontology, although it's not quite popular, plays a really important role when it comes to situations like this. Yeah. Yeah, quick question, I guess, thinking about that. Does mm -hmm. or do forensic odontologists travel for international cases frequently if there isn't a large amount of them out there working? Yeah, of course. So the organization that I'm working for, Kenyon International Emergency Services, so once you work for the organization, you sort of um, sign a contract with them um, saying that you're okay with moving countries uh, if or when a disaster happens, they do make sure that you don't have to travel continents. Like if, if I'm in the UK, if a disaster is in, say, Africa, then I can travel. But they do have forensic odontologists in Australia, so they wouldn't ask me to travel that far. But yes, depending on the disaster and where the disaster takes place and also the number of victims, like say maybe a country has two forensic odontologists, especially 
countries um, like Pakistan or even Jordan, where there's very few forensic ontologists. And if they need that kind of support, then yes, we have to fly in. But yes, traveling is definitely a part of being a forensic ontologist. Yes. So why did you decide to go into forensic ontology? Um, I chose forensic ontology purely out of interest. So I, even as a dental student, I was really interested in research and forensics within dentistry. And the thing is, because although I was interested in the whole subject, I had no idea how to pursue it. Uh, because forensic ontology wasn't popular and even now isn't quite popular in India. So I had to go through an extensive Google research to know what forensic ontology is about, how it is going to be working as a forensic ontologist, and what countries offer a proper master's program. And this is in 2018. So at the time, there were only three countries that provided a master's degree in forensic ontology. And that's Belgium, Australia, and the UK. And I didn't select Belgium because uh, you needed to learn the language before you chose the course and something that I wasn't keen on. Between Australia and UK, I realized that UK has a lot of um, support for international students and it can be funding, community support, uh, scholarships. So that is how I chose UK over Australia. But why specifically the university that I chose? So I did my master's from University of Dundee and it's uh, located in Scotland in UK. Um, Why University of Dundee? Uh, Definitely because of the dental school and the forensic school rankings. Now, because my subject is forensic dentistry, I needed to make sure that I'm going to a university that uh, teaches both the subjects properly and the rankings are great because this is going to go to my CV. The dental school of University of Dundee was ranked number one in the UK in 2019, although it's ranked number two now just behind University of Glasgow. The forensic school has been ranked number one then and now in the UK. So the dental school and the forensic school were basically in the top five for the past few years. Also for the fact that they had a unique master's course, so they had a unique forensic ontology master's course. So they had modules like forensic science, medicine, anthropology, archaeology, and even forensic law uh, or criminal law, where they actually taught you how to be how to behave uh, as a forensic expert witness in court. Um, so all these modules were a great foundation on which your forensic ontology knowledge is going to be built upon. And as you would know, um, as dental students, we don't handle death or we're not trained to. So the transition from dentistry to forensics had to be smooth so that it doesn't take a toll on you. Um, And also for the fact that they had amazing staff, amazing facilities. We had a lot of hands-on experience. We could do autopsies even as students under supervision. So it was a lot of um, hands-on experience. And even the course was very feedback-based. So it was tailored cut to students' needs. So our supervisor made sure that the students are benefited from every module that we took. 
Um, also for the fact that the university was awarded University of the Year for Student Experience. So there was a lot of uh, student support, a lot of societies that you could join, mental health support, a lot of events, of course, before COVID. Uh, it was definitely home away from home. They had an Indian society that you could be a part of. So you never felt uh, left out um, in a different country. And also for the fact that Dundee is a beautiful, calm city. Um, as an international student, and especially as a person of color, I really needed to make sure that I'm moving to a community where I'm welcome. Um, and I've been here for three years, and I can assure you that uh, Dundee definitely has a crowd that is warm and welcoming. So yeah, these were a list of uh, reasons why I chose forensic dentistry and why I chose to do forensic dentistry in this university as well. So you've talked a lot already kind of about different cases that have happened in forensic dentistry, but can you walk us through like a typical work day for you? Um, now, a typical work day. So now I'm not working because I'm working on my PhD funding, um, but a typical work day for a forensic odontologist does not have a, a clear cut schedule. It's definitely what's thrown at you that day it, it could be so our major chunk of our work is autopsies of course but if you're a lecturer or if you're working in research then you definitely have a lot of lab work you have to uh, the, there's a lot of data analysis there's teaching uh, there's also sessions where you create awareness amongst um, dental students forensic students uh, um, but there could be also age estimation cases, bite mark cases. Um, so your typical day does not have a clear cut schedule. It's definitely what's thrown at you. But um, if we're going through the role of forensic ontologists, like what, what other things that we do other than human identification and autopsies, um, another thing that we do is age estimation. So age estimation is a very interesting but a complex part of being a forensic ontologist. So you basically estimate age for children, adolescents, adults, and there are different ways of doing it. There's a visual method, there are radiographic methods, biochemical methods. Uh, it's used for legal purposes. So you basically estimate if a person is a minor, especially if they're the accused or the victim. And this is used legally so that even their punishment varies with their age range. Um, also for uh, estimating age for refugees, because the UK has a lot of uh, refugees from all over the world. So in order to uh, understand their refugee status, because um, their benefits vary with their age range as well. Uh, another thing that we do is bite mark analysis. Now, bite marks is interesting but it's a very sensitive topic. I know a lot of forensic ontologists that opt out of doing bite mark analysis, especially because of the risk factor involved in the field. There have been so many wrong convictions in the past, especially in the US, uh, for several reasons, which is a whole other session itself. But, but these wrong convictions tarnished the name of forensic ontology, um, especially considering bite marks. But yes, bite marks is also a part of forensic ontology. Another thing that we do is disaster victim identification, as I mentioned before. Um, this is a very strenuous part of being a forensic odontologist, uh, and it depends on how bad the disaster is, the number of victims uh, within the disaster. And as I mentioned before, you basically allocate it to a particular location anywhere around the world. And it's physically strenuous because you'll be handling a lot of autopsies, days together, weeks together. You're going to be in a country that you're not used to. Uh, you might not have 
um, the language proficiency. So you might have translators. Uh, and because you're surrounded by death and decay and a lot of negativity um, pertaining to it, it can also or may take a toll on your mental health as well. So that is disaster victim identification, uh, which is also a major part of being a forensic ontologist. From a corporate uh, or a legal aspect, uh, something else that we do is also identification of dental and medical legal fraudulence. So this is mainly for insurance purposes. So you basically identify fraud in dental treatments. Uh, it's basically, you would check if a treatment was absolutely necessary for this patient or if it was done for personal or fi basically financial benefits of the dentist. And this is, as I mentioned, mainly for insurance purposes. And of course, there is the research and teaching part of uh, forensic dentistry, just like any other clinical subject. And you can also work as an expert witness. So you basically submit findings as evidence to the court. And these cases can um, range anything from rape, sexual assault, abuse, age estimation, and even identification. Yeah, so these are um, most of the things that forensic ontologists do. Yeah, I can see that that would require very extensive training to be able to do all of these successfully. Definitely. So are there any other specialties before you decided on forensics that were interesting to you? Um, during my dental school, something that I was absolutely interested in was oral and maxillofacial surgery. Um, although I don't know if I have it in me to be uh, an oral maxillofacial surgeon, I know forensics has its own uh, dealing with death and decay and all of that. But at least back in India, I saw it was um, for, to be a surgeon was absolutely stressful. But yes, I was definitely interested in it. I was quite passionate about uh, surgery topics as well. Uh, and if not for surgery, something else that I was absolutely interested in was endodontics and endodontic surgery. But um, before all that, I, I saw forensic dentistry and fell in love with it. So thank you for everything today. I feel like you gave such a good look into forensic dentistry and what your experience has been with all of the different things you're involved in and the different ways that forensic dentists work. And like you said, provide justice in various different capacities. Do you have mm -hmm. any final advice for dental students listening to this episode? Um, I'm going to probably divide the advice into two sections. So this is going to be for the ones who are interested in forensic ontology and who would want to take up forensic ontology as their um, career. And also for the ones who are not interested in taking up forensic ontology, but they're just curious about it. Now, for the ones who are actually interested in forensic ontology, the one thing that I would say is if you're passionate about a subject, if you're really interested in a subject, um, definitely go for it. I know uh, money is definitely a, an important factor when it comes to dentistry, but in the long run, if you're, um, if you enjoy what you're doing, if you're passionate about what you're doing, I think uh, that definitely makes a difference. But saying that, I also need to tell you about research and its struggles. Um, I know dentistry needs a lot of patience and discipline as well, but because research has a lot of lot more reading, a lot more academic writing, uh, you might face funding related issues and even finding a full time job. It definitely requires a lot more patience, a lot more discipline. Um, but again, this is a very personal opinion. But end of the day, knowing that your research results are going to shape the future of dentistry 
or the fact that other dentists and dental students will be learning your work uh, and you're leaving a mark in dental history with your research is definitely quite rewarding for me. And if it's the same for you, then definitely take up a research subject and definitely take up forensic ontology. Another thing that I would uh, love to tell you guys is um, if you're interested in forensic ontology, before you take up the master's, reach out to other forensic dentists, especially if you have some in your country. This is mainly because I've seen a lot of students take up forensic odontology, but they understand, okay, this is not what I was hoping for, or this is not what I was expecting, and they actually drop out. And it's quite understandable because, as I mentioned before, um, within dentistry or during our dental education, uh, we don't really deal with death or we don't really deal with decay uh, compared to our medical counterparts where they have forensic medicine before they specialize into something else. So to, for that transition, you need to be well prepared. You need to know what you're getting into. And forensic dentists who are already in the field can give you a, an image or picture of what you're getting into. So definitely reach out to forensic dentists um, in your country. And if not in your country, even the ones who are working abroad. Um, another topic that's not quite talked about within forensic dentistry is um, definitely mental health and dealing with death and decay. Um, I know even as dentists, you need to learn, or any profession for that matter, you need to learn how to disconnect from your work and how you need to place a boundary between your professional and your personal life. As a forensic professional, this is really important, especially because during your work hours, which is eight to nine years of your day, you're always talking about decomposition, death, you're doing autopsies, you're handling maybe assault cases, abuse cases, which can trigger feelings, trigger emotions in you that you probably didn't know existed. So it is quite important for you to disconnect from your professional life and your personal life. And there is also a stereotype, and there are even research studies that prove that uh, a lot of forensic uh, professionals abuse substances so that they can disconnect from work. But I want to tell you that as a person who is diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder, I want to ensure that there are so many other uh, ways you can distract yourself from your work life and your personal life. And uh, substance abuse is not the way. So mental health and uh, the struggles with um, handling death is definitely something that is not talked about within forensic dentistry. And this is one major advice that I would give anyone who wants to pursue forensic dentistry. And now for the ones who are not interested in forensic uh, odontology or dentistry, there are so many ways you can support your fellow forensic odontologists as general dentists, hygienists, nurses, even specialized dentists. Because for our autopsies, we use, uh, we're actually dependent on your work so we depend on dental records and your dental charting and x-rays and whatnot. And I've also have, uh, I published an article on how dental anomalies can be used for human identification when and if they're recorded accurately by anyone who does dental charting. So it could be dentists, dental nurses, assistants, hygienists. So it depends on your work. So it depends on how dentists um, or general dentists maintain reliable, accurate dental records and depend, dependent on your work, how my autopsies would be successful or not. 
And also for the fact that if a forensic odontologist reaches out to you, uh, you can help them in so many ways by sharing your dental records uh, in the identification of someone that would have been your patient in the past. So, yeah, I think this is my advice for both the both the sections. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. I really appreciate all of your advice, all of your insight, sharing your experiences. If there is anyone that has specific questions for you, what's the best way for them to contact you? Um, the best way is definitely LinkedIn. If you just okay. pop into Jack Mar, I'll be there. Um, you can also find me on Instagram and Facebook. I don't have a professional account because I can't post uh, my work content because uh, there's a lot of legal policies behind sharing that kind of stuff, and especially because it does not comply with social media regulations and guidelines because it's a lot of sensitive topics that I work on. So there is rape and death and assault. So even if I don't have a professional account on Instagram, I'm more than happy to answer any questions. I'm more than happy to guide anyone who reach out to me on social media platform. Um, But yeah, LinkedIn would be the best way to reach out to me professionally. Okay, great. I will put your LinkedIn in the description of the podcast so people can get to it that way. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Haley. And it's a pleasure to talk about forensic ontology to future dentists and create that kind of awareness. So um, all the best with your platform. And thank you so much for having me. All right, that is the end of this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed and learned something new about another avenue of dentistry and how we as general dentists can best support forensic dentists. Or if you're early enough in your undergrad experience, maybe you thought of a new career that you could pursue. So I hope you all enjoyed and I will talk to you next Monday.